Hello, and welcome to season two, episode four of Dualistic Unity. I'm playing the part of Andrew today. And I'm going to continue to play the part of Ray because identifying as such limits the intensity of my potential. Love it. So, yeah, we were uh, we we're just chatting for a little while. I was able to slide the intro in, but just about sort of the reality of freedom and waking up and how people, I think, a lot of times when people are going through their own sort of hell or anxieties or depression, they think of the other end must be all sunshine and rainbows. And while not to downplay anyone's, you know, depression, anxiety, anything like that, but the other side isn't necessarily always sunshine and rainbows all the time. It's like a, a different type of existence and the things that maybe you used to cling to in order to feel a little bit better when you were in a certain type of mentality, they aren't as readily available or not to say they aren't as readily available. They are still readily available, but because you are in a different mentality, you know that that isn't what's actually going to make you feel better long-term. It's kind of like reaching for a bar of chocolate when you're craving something, you know, and you know, you, you shouldn't sort of thing like you can, but you know, it's not going to make you feel better. Um, it's just going to give you that temporary sort of feeling. So just been going back and forth about that a little bit, but yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, um, it's a lot, like, it's a lot like the question, uh, well, you bike, I assume you have a bike or you have, you had a bike outside of New York. Do you bike around is the question. I do. They have uh, city bike stations Fair in enough. Manhattan. Would you ever put training wheels on your bike? No. Why? Because I know how to ride a bike and it's more fun without the because training it's wheels. more fun without them. But you have to let go of the false certainty and the false comfort that those training wheels provide. Right. Yes. That's very much the development of our ego, right? We use these reasons to motivate ourselves to grow. We use these reasons to uh, inspire ourselves to avoid certain bad habits. We use these reasons to try and, and, and help ourselves develop over time. But just like training wheels, if we continue to use them, it limits our movement. It limits our freedom. It limits what's, what's available and what's possible to us. But it's just that false comfort, even when we're strong enough and have the ability to find our own balance, it's our fear of being responsible for that balance that tends to hold us back. But once we decide, I don't want to stay within the, the comfort of my discomfort. I don't want to stay within the confines of what I've dictated is possible. I want to see what else is there. Then you have to let go of that certainty. You have to let go of those training wheels. But that means you also have to be willing to fall. And as long as you think that falling is going to diminish you, diminish, diminish your value, it's terrifying. You never want to do that. It's not until you start to question that, that falling has anything to do with your value at all, that you start to realize it's through falling that you learn to get back up. It's through the experience of risking everything that you learn what you're capable of. And so it, it is very much like, you know, we want something, we want something, we want something, we want to be free. And then we get free and we go, oh God, I just want to, I want to be comforted. And it's like, well, that's normal because you've been comforted by fictions for so very long that you haven't experienced the, the joy and the excitement of being free. Like you've been in the nest being secure and comfortable and protected by your ego, but it has limited you from being able to fly. And flight is terrifying. 
it's supposed to be terrifying. That's why it's so much fun. I like that analogy of being in the nest a lot because I think, and just from my own experience, sort of existing in the in the way that our society promotes that sort of feeling of, of comfort and security and stability is a lot like being in the nest and very few people have ever tried to fly. And, and if you don't jump out of that, you'll never know whether you can fly. You can't fly while you're hanging out in the nest. So I think that analogy resonates quite a bit because I feel like in my life now, my feelings about things are just very different. Like, for example, today, uh, I, I got asked to be interviewed by the New York local news, the CBS Channel 2. So anyone who is listening, if uh, if you are in the New York area, that'll be on some news segment. I'll probably post it in Discord when I find out when it's going to be posted. But they're interviewing me about having a side gig and, and saving money and just my mentality about that. And so uh, you'll be able to watch the interview at some point, but um, just my mentality going into it was much different than it used to be. I didn't have fear going into it at all, but on the flip side, I also didn't have this desire and hope that it was going to go really well because then I would be looked at as like this very smart, cool guy who got interviewed by the news and like crushed his interview. So I think people don't, realize that when you kind of shift mentalities, maybe don't have as much of that fear, you don't have as much of that like yearning desire to build up your ego in the same way. So it's more of a neutral feeling of let's see what happens. I know that no matter how it goes, it's not going to add or take away anything from who or, or what I am. So in that there is far more peace and relaxation, but there isn't that peace, that egoic peace where you're like, oh, like if I do really well on this, like, and overall it did go pretty well, I thought, but I know that that's also not going to build me up and make me more. So it's just, it's just a very interesting feeling. Um, and yeah, it's, it's different. So it's something I think I'm sort of got to get used to a little bit and it's not a you know, a bad feeling in any way. It's just, it's a totally different ball game, basically. Well, it's, it's very much like the difference between being an adventurer, say like in the Lord of the Rings and being riddled with doubt on the adventure, as opposed to being on the adventure, paying attention to what's happening on the adventure, right? Like it's not about how, what this means about me so much as sweet, we just opened up a new path. I didn't know it was here. Let's find out what that's about. And that's very much, you know, what your interview was. It's like, oh, this is something that happened that opened up a bunch of possibilities that weren't open before. I wonder what this is going to do. And so it, rather than it being about goals, it becomes more about wonder, about just watching things unfold, right? And, and it kind of becomes the same kind of, um, how do I put this? It's like watching uh, a bowl of oil. Say you have a bowl of water with some oil on the top and you drop some dish liquid in there and the dish liquid hits the oil and everything just disperses, right? That's very much what it, it becomes like when you are clear and aware. Everything you drop yourself into, every you know, pool of oil that you drop yourself into, you're just watching the effect that you have over that pool. So whenever you go into a social situation, whether it go to the bar, you go to a coffee shop, you go to work, you are carrying your clarity with you. You're changing everything. 
So you're not only changing your own opportunities and the things that you see as possible, but you're also changing the opportunities and the possibilities of everybody who's interacting with you simply because you're so far outside of the script that they imagine is going to be happening. So your freedom becomes its own action without you having to do anything. You just have to be yourself, which is what you're doing anyway. But it, it becomes very different. It's not I'm going to do this and it's going to make me a better person or it's going to make me more complete. It's I'm going to do this and let's see what it does with me, right? Let's see what happens. And, and it's a very different thing in that you don't worry about the outcome outside of, of course, uh, of recognizing that whatever that outcome is, you are going to be involved with it, right? So it's always responsibility and accountability, but it's never fear in the same way that it used to be. It might be caution, especially if you're doing something that's dangerous, right? But Fear is a different feeling. Fear of failure is really what drags us back. But we don't identify, if we don't identify with the failure, it's not failure. It's just another step towards success and growth. Yeah, it's almost like who's failing in that, in that sense. And, and without as much me, like we were talking before the podcast started, how I oftentimes am interacting with people or, or walking around and, and kind of forget almost that I'm Andrew, like this character that's other people are portraying in, in different ways. And without that idea of me kind of uh, thinking back to my, one of my higher dose trips when I was walking around New York, it felt like I was almost walking on a treadmill and it wasn't me moving forward through space. It was that everything was moving behind me in space. And I still feel that all the time. And when I remember that sort of feeling, it like it hits me again, but without as much sense of, of me, it's just, and seeing myself as everything, it's just, I am this sort of piece of awareness having influence here and now in wherever piece of space that I am in the moment. So it's, it's not that, and without that, there's not as much baggage and ideas that come with everything that I do. It's just sort of that feeling of neutrality of having an impact or influence in the situation without feeling like afraid that it could take anything away from me because I see myself as not only the situation, but everyone and everything else in the situation. So as much as say something did happen to Andrew and someone perceived me as less, it would, there would be like an equal and opposite effect of something else. And usually I think when people inflict their sort of egos to make themselves feel better, they do it through trying to see someone else as, as less than them. So it's like in neutrality, as much as they see themselves as higher, they have to equally see someone else as lower, but without that involvement, everything just stays at sort of that neutral playing field. So it's just, yeah, it's much different experience and, and it's, it's it cool, but it's different. It's hard to, well, cause you're trying to learn how to, to relate to people now. Right. And since you were always relating to people based on the teeter totter of value by comparison, right. it's like, how do I do that? Like, suddenly you, you're interacting with somebody who maybe you wouldn't have agreed with once upon a time and immediately you start to judge them and you're like, I, I don't actually know this person. They're not just the person they're showing me right now. This is just what they're working through. 
And suddenly your judgment just disappears because you recognize that they're not the image that you've created of them and that a lot of their suffering comes from them trying to be an image that they've created of them. And, and so you find yourself in this place of, of incredible empathy at the end of the day, because you recognize where your own suffering and your own limitations and your own um, obstacles really came from, where your pain really was rooted, or at least where it's been maintained and perpetuated over time. And you start to realize that everybody's kind of doing the same thing in this mass avoidance of recognizing that we're all equally uncertain, that we're all just equally the present, trying to determine what that means about us and, and how best to interact at, in that reality. So we come up with a story about ourselves, about our body and our narrative and what's possible and what's not. And we come up with a story about human nature and, and God and everything else. And, and it's all just us trying to feel like we know what's happening. And in our urge to know what's happening, we create a fictitious world. And that fictitious world is what perpetuates our conflict and our suffering because the fiction is based on our lack of clarity, right? It's based on the narrative. It's based on, on our, our perceived division. And so once you recognize you're not divided, once you recognize you're not your idea of yourself, then it, it, it would seem foolhardy to judge somebody or to try and tear them down in the same way that it would be foolhardy to inject yourself with a poison. Right? You recognize we're all in this together. And the depth of that goes way beyond anything that you might have meant egotistically because you recognize that there is no we. It's just you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's very difficult to, when you see everyone and everything in yourself as, as God, as the universe, as what is, then it's almost impossible if you, until you forget that sort of aspect. And, and I, uh, I want to bring up the article you posted on Patreon from, from your archives. I read that today and it was like, kind of gave me goosebumps and the idea that, you know, we could be this unified, non-dualistic entity that has forgotten or convinced itself that it, that it wasn't like, it's, it's crazy to think that, like, how did we get, how do you think we got to a point? Like, was it just in the span of, of, cause it seems like more or less a human thing to a degree, but so it, it has to be fairly or seemingly is fairly recent, but, uh, but then time doesn't exist either, but like it does and it doesn't, exactly. but like, how do we, like, how did we, everyone forget, like almost, almost everyone. Um, yeah. so it's interesting because if, if you read any of, uh, Gaber Mady, or if you ever watch any of his talks, he talks about, uh, trauma and how our response to trauma is often to doubt ourselves, right? So he'll, he'll do uh, an example where he say, okay, um, everybody here who's had a strong gut reaction or a, a strong gut intuition to do something and then didn't do it, raise your hand. And so like 98% of the room raises their hand. He's like, that, that is trauma. You've learned to doubt your own intuition. You've learned to doubt your own instinct. 
because of trauma, because of your reality, in fact, you know, telling you that's not something you should do. And so trauma has that, that problem. And then when we're traumatized, we identify, we try to get that certainty and that value through identification. And often that's where trauma ends up uh, turning into addiction and other self-destructive behaviors later, later on when it's not um, dealt with in a healthy way, when it's, not, when it's not processed as being something that, that added to your potential rather than took away from your potential. And so when you look at the world the way it is right now, especially the fact that human beings, homo sapiens have been around for what, like half a million years, something like that. Um, and we have 10,000 years of written history, most of which all revolves around this idea of some global catastrophe happening, right? Whether it be a flood or otherwise. I, I think that humans knew this. I, I think that much of our older culture, tribal society and, 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 and so on, even if you want to look at the pyramids and Stonehenge and all of that, this all kind of, um, rings of a level of understanding and, and knowledge about reality that we don't share right now. We have technological advancement, but when it comes to our conscious advancement, it's really quite lacking. I think it was Einstein who said, like, our technology has surpassed our humanity. But it, when our humanity surpasses our technology, you know, things will start to change. And I think that at one point, our humanity did surpass our technology. I think that we actually knew this. Um, to a very large degree. I think that's why, why we stayed in tribal society for so very long, but I don't think we just stayed in tribal society. I think legends like Atlantis and, and all this evidence of lost civilizations, you know, like for example, um, the bones that they're finding deep in the Amazon rainforest that have Australasian DNA, you know, from 22,000 years ago when it was impossible for us to travel and to go across the world or according to our written history, we weren't, we weren't capable of doing that. These all, all kind of dig holes. And so my thought, and this is just, again, me just kind of spinning over the years, is that at some point, our, our culture had such a, a tremendous act of trauma collectively that it kind of just knocked us back to the Stone Age. We lost all of our knowledge. We lost all of our, um, all of our wisdom and, and the clarity that we once had. And so we just struggled to rebuild it over time. And in doing so, we rebuilt empires and all of the egotistical stuff in the same way that if somebody you know, was experiencing enlightenment and clarity in their own life, and you came and you beat that person up, they would have problems struggling to get back to that state of mind at first, because they would feel vilified, they would feel oppressed, they would feel you know, like they are the victim of reality, there would be that perceived separation that they would have to work through again. And I think that that's what we're doing. That's why when we look back at our, re our more recent history, the Renaissance, um, the, the hippie movement, so on and so forth, you can kind of see that mentality trying to bubble back up, right? And it still exists in a lot of other cultures, especially in, in indigenous cultures, which are largely being oppressed and silenced. So that way that mentality doesn't in fact spread, right? Because again, if we were to suddenly embrace the idea that value by comparison is not a real thing, capitalism would end. Right? The system as we know it would just fall apart because it's very much based on us perceiving ourselves as separate. So I think that it's just, we ended up here out of some traumatic uh, situation, something traumatized us collectively. We've kind of dragged our way out of that over time. And now we're just habitually working through our coping mechanisms and our addiction, not fully over the, the trauma yet, but we're working on it. That, that's how I kind of look at it. I mean, individually, you're working on it, I'm working on it, other people are working on it. And as we do so, we're starting to come together and we're having, again, a renaissance of ambiguity. We're having that renaissance of clarity where we realize 
the problem isn't the system. The problem is not the world around us. The problem is what we're doing with it and why we're doing the things that we're doing. So yeah, I think we had this before. I think we're coming back to it. But on another note, I think it's almost irrelevant because even if we've never had this before, it's still happening now. And that makes the, the, the future, so on, uh, so-called, very exciting. Yeah, I feel like it does, like so much of that does come back to habits and just what we've sort of developed as the norm. And it's like a combination of habits and a lack of questioning. And people are just kind of comfortable. And it's like, I really like that nest analogy because it feels like we're just in this massive nest and everyone's like kind of some people go and look over the edge and they're like, Oh, I, uh, I can't handle that. Like I can't fly. I know I can't fly. And it's like, well, well, do you? And, and the more that we're able to just question the habits. And I think that's something that I've always sort of done to a degree, but a lot more recently. And then, you know, it kind of ties in with not to, go back into like drugs and psychedelics, but those kind of promote that sense of questioning. Whereas the drugs that we have settled on, you know, like the alcohol, cocaine, things like that, that are kind of running rampant in our society are not, they do not promote that state of questioning. They promote that sense of almost like a comfort, but also frightened comfort in a sort of way. And so they don't promote that feeling of freedom that sort of, I was talking about at the start of the podcast, those two sorts of different mentalities where one is say, for example, you have an interview coming up and you're either afraid that it's going to take something away from who you are, or it's going to you're hoping and desiring that it adds something to who you are. And those sorts of, you know, those drugs, alcohol and things like that kind of are within that realm of mentality. Whereas, you know, things like psychedelics, mushrooms, for example, are more on the other mentality where you're like, no, I'm, I'm pulling complete. I'm not going to add anything to myself. I, I have enough around me right now. I don't need too much more. And, and what could I possibly lose like how could i lose and and it promotes that sort of questioning of the habitual things that we individually and collectively as a society have settled on both to feel better but also that we're everyone's afraid of because we have this mentality of separateness and feeling like you know we individually need to become more and it's much more on that side than we collectively need to become more. And so there isn't as much me involved in that collective mentality of becoming more. And there, there's nothing to, there's not as much fear, fear of failure when it's a collective mindset, because if you are sort of working in a direction of the collective, there's not as much me involved. You see yourself in everything. So it's just a sort of steady progress through questioning, which I feel like is kind of what we're doing with this podcast. And I, and I do think that questioning and habits are such a big part and questioning habits is, is a big piece of, of that sort of mentality shift. Yeah, for sure. It, it, 
it's funny because, and we said this, I think it was episode two or three, you know, the one-step process of awareness, right? It's really just being aware that these things are happening. I mean, that's what we talked about in Discover Transcendence, right? Like I'm talking about three behaviors. I'm not telling you anything aside from the fact that if you keep them in mind, you, you diffuse them. You actually disempower those behaviors just by recognizing that they're there, right? And that's, that's really all we're ever trying to do. But again, in that, there's this, this lack of, of control over our perceived value, right? Like we get addicted to the journey because we think that the journey defines us, despite the fact that we know the journey is to escape self-definition, right? So it becomes this, this vicious loop where at some point we have to go, I just need to stop. Or not even I need to stop, I need to stop starting because that's what I'm doing in every moment. I'm recreating all of this stuff just habitually. And as soon as you go, oh, it's, a, it's habit. You take that self-judgment out of there and suddenly you diffused it a little bit more, right? Because you've removed yourself just a bit. So now you've gained some more clarity, right? But it, that's what it is. Every time we, we take ourselves out of the problem, we gain a little bit more ability to deal with the problem, right? But it's ourselves that cause that obstacle. It's like we can't see the problem so long as we're putting ourselves in the middle of it. And so as soon as we, we go, oh, it's not about me, our brain goes, okay, now I can work on this. As long as it's about me, I'm too busy trying to feel better about the terrible way I'm feeling that's been caused by me making it about me, right? And so we end up in this, this coping loop caused by our coping mechanisms, right? And so eventually it's just, it's that act of faith. It's jumping out of the nest. That's what it is. It's just what happens if I don't keep thinking about myself? What happens if I don't believe any of this makes me more valuable? What happens if I realize all of this is just habit? based on confusion. Well, suddenly you have an insight, you have another option. You see more doors, more opportunities, but you also feel uncertain. You also feel a little afraid, right? Like that's the whole point is that in that state of uncertainty, you are aligning with reality. But if you haven't done it for a long time, if you've been avoiding it, it's not gonna feel good. It's gonna feel like you've been running away because you have been. But there's nothing wrong with running away because it's, it's intense. Like I said at the beginning of this episode, freedom is intense, right? It'd be like if you didn't know you could fly and I suddenly threw you out of a plane and you're like, where's the parachute? You don't need one, but you don't know that. How quickly can you learn, right? But if you're too busy trying to scramble your way back up to the plane to get the parachute, you're just going to keep plummeting, right? You actually have to stop feel the wind, spread your wings, right? And allow yourself to see what you're capable of, but you can't do it as long as you're in the nest. You can't imagine yourself doing it. You can't try to, you know, bait yourself into do it or scare yourself into doing it because that's all just still part of the nest. Yeah, it comes back to action in that way. And I think, I think it's like taking that action, feeling that uncertainty, feeling afraid, but deep down sort of knowing that it'll be okay. Always, no matter, like, no matter what period, like there's not like, Oh, but unless this happens or unless that happens, like, no, no matter what it will be okay. And it's interesting too, like the idea of, of having faith in yourself that we talk about, but also 
not really defining yourself. So do you think with faith in yourself, is that sort of like faith in your capabilities? Because part of me feels like faith in yourself is like sort of an egotistical kind of phrase, but then not having an idea of yourself is there's nothing to have faith in besides you as you know eternal awareness of the universe so it's it's like having faith in that as opposed to having faith in this ego identity character of andrew but it's like having faith in yourself is almost a step in that direction because you know as opposed to not having faith in yourself but it can very easily turn into like this emboldened ego identity of of like you know i guess confidence but like too like too far to the point that you are still seeing yourself as separate and it's kind of like just on that same spectrum of fearing desiring you know fearing you'll become less wanting to become more and if if you gain a sort of type of confidence, then you're still seeing yourself as separate, even if you have this positive identity with like a ton of faith in this ego, as opposed to having less sense of self and sort of that's like on another railway, almost like less sense of self where you don't need sense in, in this self, but in just faith in everything. And I think that's where it comes back to the idea of understanding that everything will be okay and just seeing yourself as everything. Like I almost see them as like two different train tracks almost. And I feel like I'm kind of newly existing on a different train track. I'm like, I've never fucking been on this train track. I don't know what's going on here. It it feels kind of weird, but there's also not really that fear on that train track. It's just different. Yeah. And I love talking to you, man. So, so <laughs> it, it really comes down to, uh, so faith is, faith is like the eye of a needle that once you're through, you can just keep going and it keeps getting more and more and more refined until you disappear. Right. And, and so even faith in yourself is still egotistical, as you said, right. And, and, but it is a step in the right direction. At least you're not passing responsibility off to something that's external you're not passing it off to a fiction so you're like okay i'll handle it i'll handle this and that's a stage or a step into seeing what you're capable of or rather at least seeing that your ideas that you're not capable aren't necessarily truth and and so you start to get your idea out of the way a little bit but then you start to run into the idea of faith in yourself not as you who you are as your idea of yourself but as whatever it is that you are in reality serving whatever purpose. So then you start coming into this idea that, you know, I have faith in my ability as you know the universe. I have my faith in my ability as, as God, or I have faith in my ability as, as the observer, all of which are still ideas, right? So it's still, it's still not really faith, but it's in the right direction. It's going in the direction of faith because faith doesn't have an end. Like the end of faith is the end of you. And that's not even true. Like that's not even accurate because the end of faith is the end of your perception that there's a separate you, right? It's just the relinquishing of control. Um, In the first Matrix movie, one of the best scenes in the movie is when Neo is fighting Morpheus for the very first time. And Morpheus is telling him like, it's it's not your body, it's your mind. Like you're holding yourself back. 
you know, it's like, stop trying to hit me and hit me, right? Faith is the same way. Stop trying to have faith. That's not faith, right? Stop having faith. That's not faith, right? Like it's, it's just where you are without this or with the cessation of a narrative that goes with that. Like you're not trying to make yourself feel better in any way, shape or form. You're not trying to cognitively feel like you're in control. You're just allowing intelligence to act or, or rather for intelligence to be what it is as an expression of the moment that you're in. And that level of faith is not faith. I mean, that goes beyond the concept that goes to the reality of just alignment of unity. It's the experience of being at the end of the day. And that's the funny part about all of these things is that we use these words, being God, faith, presence. It's all describing the same state of being. It's all describing the same awareness that we are, that we tend to run from because there's no security or there's no illusion of um, conceptual walls that we live with it. Somebody once said to me, like, your, your pool is super deep. I'm like, my pool doesn't have any edges. <laughs> there's no, there's no walls in my pool at all. Right. And, and it's, you have to learn to live there. If you're going to embrace freedom, if you want to see what it is you're capable of when you're not telling yourself what that is, then you have to at least just accept that it's not going to feel comfortable at first. It doesn't, it doesn't feel comfortable at first because the idea of comfort is related to my idea of me. It's related to my fears. If I'm not afraid, I don't need to be comforted, right? And that's the point. It's going so far down the relinquishing of control and, and identity that there's no comfort to balance out. I mean, even Jesus was saying, like, faith is just the beginning. Right? Like, faith balances out fear. Once, you've, once you're out of fear, you don't need faith anymore. Right? That, that's that state of being what you already are. But yeah, it's tricky to try and describe it. And, and you can start to see and respect how not religious figures, but I guess figures in the past who have dedicated their lives to God or, or Nirvana or, or anything like that. When you see how much they've, they've just put themselves aside for the sake of doing what, they, what, would, what was in front of them. It's amazing. It's amazing. Like when you see saints or when you see Buddhist monks or, or anything like that, and they go out and they're just relentlessly selfish or selfless that that's intense like you you really have to respect that to some degree but again you have to watch out that you're not being the idea of selfless right because that becomes egotistical too which the catholic church has shown very clearly yeah it's like something you can't really study or read about or even we do our best but express very well like it's hard to do it justice because you know like reality isn't words what you are isn't words it's not a description like faith that sort of faith it's the eye of a needle it isn't words it's it's it can be <laughs> tough but so it's almost something you have to experience once you do experience those feelings it becomes much clearer and much more obvious those sorts of ideas of not needing faith in yourself it's like well who are what self are you having faith in but until you realize that you it's almost like seeing yourself from a third 
person perspective in a way, like seeing that Andrew is a part of this whole. And but it's not that I am Andrew separate from this whole. It's that I, but then, you know, I have some capabilities here and now to have influence. Like I can move my hands and make sounds with my mouth that other people understand, but there is just such a different feeling with that. And until you feel that it's hard to express. Like I was, I was actually in Tampa a few weeks ago. I was on a walk with my little brother and I was trying to explain to him that feeling I had. I was like, explaining you know my last big mushroom trip i felt like everything was moving behind me and i was just on a treadmill like can you if you think of that think for a second that you know we're walking forward but that we're kind of just like on a treadmill and everything else is moving backwards can you like imagine that and he was like dude no i i have no idea what you're talking about like we're we're clearly walking forward on this sidewalk right now and i was like ah oh, damn okay yeah so that was just an example to me of something now like you know i haven't tripped in a while like i still feel like that when i'm walking around new york i still feel and i think you've expressed to me when you take just a higher dose it's like you feel like you're at the center of the universe and everything else is just like the necessary scenery and that's how it feels a lot of time and conceptually it's it's been a shift that i'm almost surprised that i never saw it before because it seems like such a like not that big of a deal now all of a sudden that it's like i'm just always the center i can't escape myself being the center of the universe to me like it's impossible and so it's just that I am this piece of everything, but when the ego gets involved, it's thinking that this is me as opposed to everything. But yeah, just existing, even just that example of feeling like buildings are going behind me and I am just there. It's like, I don't feel like I'm going forward because I don't, I think, is it probably because I don't feel as separate? Is that what it might be? Or you're not thinking about yourself. Yeah, you're not you're not creating a division, right? And and that's it between the observer and the observed. As soon as we have that perception of a division, we feel separate. And now we're working within reality, right? As opposed to as reality, and it becomes a very very different experience. In the same way, like if you were dreaming, and I convinced you you weren't or that you weren't dreaming that it was real, you would immediately look at your dream as the world that you live in, right? But if I was to say, hey, you're dreaming you'd go, oh, so this is all me. And you'd have a totally different experience of it. Right? And that's very much the difference. It's funny, I posted this, uh, this video from The Simpsons on Discord. I don't know if you saw it. It was, uh, it was from a Simpsons intro that I, I watched years and years ago. It must've been 20 years ago, but basically it's the intro where they all go and they sit on the couch. And then it zooms out of the couch, over the house, over the earth, back out sees the the galaxy and the solar system and everything else and all the other galaxies and then all those galaxies start to come together into larger clusters of galaxies and then those come together into essentially dna strands and it keeps zooming out and outside of homer homer's eyes so it goes full circle out to the universe and then back out through homer's mind and then he's just like whoa and it's awesome it's awesome and essentially that in reverse is more accurate to the truth right? Because 
you are the awareness of reality, which means that to you, the only universe that you really experience is your awareness of that universe, right? Your awareness is the universe to you. Without your awareness, there is no universe, right? And your entire experience of the universe is through your awareness. So your awareness is the entirety of your existence. That's it. And all of the possible things that you could perceive or know or learn about, whether it be galaxies or other forms of life or anything else, are still within your awareness. You can imagine them right now, right? And it's because everything possible is within your awareness. And the universe is an expression of everything possible. So it's that paradox, it's that paradox again, where it's like, you are within the universe that was, is solely within your awareness. So there's no inner and outer. There's no external or internal. There's no me separate from the universe, right? It's all just what it is. And that, that insight in itself just stops the debate. Like, that's it. There's no more God to reach for. Now it just comes down to, well, what do you want to do now? And that's what we need culturally. That's what we need globally is to have that conversation from that standpoint. It's like, oh, we've just been kind of like beating around the bush this whole time. Maybe we should fix things up and clean up this mess. But we lack the clarity to do so because of those conceptual divisions, because we don't see ourselves as the environment. So we don't care. Yeah, damn. That is a, a mind fuck right there. <laughs> but, oh man. Yeah, even, even just the insight that we came from the earth. Like people don't, like a lot of people still don't really think that. Like they think that we came from somewhere else to this place to habitate and we are, yeah, we are just expressions of the earth, which is of the universe. And that's, that's even just that insight and understanding changes my perspective on things, seeing myself as the earth, like a fruit of the earth. It's like, so then, but then it's like, you get into all the societal stuff and having to pay to live on the earth we came from and it's just like oh what the fuck man <laughs> but so many people feel so separate and it's like that feeling of separateness and without that there's not really fears and worries in the same way but we like to almost convince ourselves like we're we're more comfortable in the prison like our prison cells are the most comfortable places on earth as opposed to, you know, realizing like a, a lot of people would probably see that the door is unlocked and not want to admit it. They would just be like, well, I know this, I don't know what's out there. And I think that's a lot of society right now is they don't want to, even when they are shown or given a key of sorts, they don't want to see what's out there. And they're just comfortable in what they know, because I mean, I know firsthand recently that opening up that door is it's a totally different experience and it isn't super comfortable and it is kind of comes back to a choice every day of choosing how you know happiness peace joy whatever and those are all just words too but just choosing to see things how you would like because you see that it is within your capability 
of seeing things and everything is through the lens in which like the world is existing through the lens in which you see it. Like the world is how you see it. So if you see it as amazing, peaceful, whatever, like you'll pick those things out. If you see it as a, you know, horrible, horrendous place with tons of oppression, like you will see that, but you can also at the same time, like all of that exists within it. So you can be aware of that. But when you go through that prison cell, it's like you see that it's you perpetuating any suffering that you're experiencing. So that can be a tougher thing to admit too. And then, but once, at least once you're able to see it, you're able to know how to let it go more clearly versus being lost in it. You just don't even know which way is up sometimes. For sure. Well, it's, it's not even necessarily how to let it go so much as the benefit of letting go. I, I mean, that's the thing, right? It's like all of a sudden we go, oh, that actually felt really good. <laughs> right? and, and that's the thing is that we can't, it's like I was saying to somebody on, on the uh, non-duality subreddit the other day, you can't teach being. You can just be. And, and then people will want to share that with you because you're enjoying yourself so very much, right? But you can't teach being. As soon as you try, you're teaching an idea and that idea is a reflection of your own prison. So all you're really doing is sharing the prison, right? And so it, it's not about teaching anything. It's just about bringing down your walls, right? Like once you're aware of your own walls and how they come up and what reinforces them and you're able to kind of chip away at them as instead of just habitually creating them, you just habitually create a little less. Like there's a few less layers each time simply because you've realized letting go of the walls is what allows you to feel reality, right? It's kind of like wearing a, a big rubber coat and then wondering why we can't feel, feel the rain. Right? So you can't feel the rain because you're protecting yourself from it, right? And that's, that's exactly what our, our ego does, our concepts do. They, they provide a, a wall between us and the reality and allow ourselves to kind of ease ourselves into it um, without feeling necessarily threatened or afraid. And, and again, the problem with that is that then we never actually experience it. We only experience the wall that we're still holding up onto. It's just like in relationships, right? Like if you have an idea of your partner, that's who you have a relationship with, not your partner, your idea of your partner. You're interacting with your assumptions about that person, in which case they're, they're not what you're looking at. And if you get blindsided by that person making a decision you don't understand or can't relate to or didn't see coming, it's because of that blindness that you've created for yourself in your assumptions and your image of that person, right? And the same is true for ourselves. And so the only way for us to really find that flow, because that's what it is, it really is. It's just like we were talking about last episode in terms of a murmuration of, of, of birds, right? We are so caught up in ourselves that we're literally, if we were a murmuration, we just run into each other and hit the ground. <laughs> like we are just, we, we don't have that ability to feel the movements of everybody around us because we're in, in, we're so caught up inside our barriers that we can't feel them moving. So the more we let that happen, the more we start to realize a different form of intelligence, which is again, the difference between conceptually teaching you, this is how to catch a baseball you know, and drawing you a diagram of the thrower and the ball in the air and the person with the glove. And this is, this is the concept of how a baseball is thrown. 
as opposed to just throwing a ball at you and watching your intelligence play out, right? You're not thinking about yourself. Your intelligence just comes into full swing. That's what we are. We are that intelligence. And if we just throw that into every situation without limiting it, constricting it, you know, saying what it can and cannot do, we would actually start to see what's possible. But that's true, not just individually, but collectively, and it's what we lack. And that's why we always, we, we reach for large structures. Like it's not just good enough that we have democracy in say, New York City or in New York State. Now we need democracy across the United States under one centralized power, one centralized organization. It's like, okay, but now you're making rules for huge groups of people that don't know each other. They have completely different priorities. They have completely different needs. They have completely different cultures and perspectives of themselves and what a community needs, right? And, and we just go, no, no, there's more security. It was all just uniform. And it's because we lack faith in one another. We lack faith that you know, it, the Lego movie, it's a perfect example, right? Everybody's a master builder, but Lord Business wants everything to be perfect according to his idea of what's perfect, right? It's not just let people express, let the world become what it, was, what it will become if we allow it to. It's no, no, we have an idea of what it needs to become based on my fears and my preferences. And, and so that's what the world has become is become a structure according to the fears and preferences of a very narrow class of society that has been so removed from the actual suffering and conflict that the rest of us are going through for so very long that the system they're perpetuating is strictly for their own comfort. It has nothing to do with us. It's just about perpetuating the system that allows them to live the way that they live. And you could say, well, they're evil. I think of it more in terms of just lack of perspective. If you are constantly comfortable, it's very difficult for you to empathize with somebody who's not comfortable. And if you don't want to give up your comfort to help that person, then you're more likely to vilify them for not doing the hard work to gain your comfort, right? And so it's just the system that we've created. And that system is based on our perspective of our relationship with reality and with one another. And that is all rooted in our idea of ourselves. It all comes down to that conceptual barrier that we make between you and I, based on who I need to, how I need to see myself as different from you. Right? And as soon as we get past that need, then we start becoming aware of all of our similarities. It's that we're looking for the divisions because we think that they give us value. And we don't realize that it's when, they, when we cease looking for them that we see the unity that has been our value the entire time. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, it's, it's crazy how just like rooted in those feelings that we've gotten. And to a point that, you know, before having conversations like this, I didn't really see... And it, it was almost just like, it's just the way it is. It's how it's always been. But the more I question things, the more it's like, it isn't the way it has to be. Like we have settled on this and it's wild how interconnected all of these ideas are and how it comes back to, you know, like as above, so below, like it comes back to how we perceive ourselves is how we perceive those around us is how we perceive society. And it's just goes as, you know, far as you want and as close to home as you want. And, and it's all rooted in the same sorts of 
misunderstandings and feelings, these illusion, like the illusion of duality is, is what a lot of it comes down to. And because of that, because we feel separate and different and live in this world where we base our value off of comparison and how we are as opposed to someone else. And I think we were talking about it in the last episode, how just everything is relative and you can't even know what tall and short, rich and poor are without other people. So coming back to understanding yourself and really questioning your needs and desires without the veil of comparison, I think will help to lead to far more feelings of peace and unity and kind of freedom and, and all of that stuff. But as long as you're existing in a world of comparison, you will never feel like you're enough, never have enough, because in any category that you compare yourself in with someone else, there's always people who are above and always people who are below. Even if there's one category, say you are the richest person on earth, there's like thousands of other categories you can compare yourself to someone with. Maybe someone else has more love in their life. Maybe someone else has a better family. Maybe someone else has, you know, is in better shape. Any of those, like you can go, no one has is like top of all of those things. So as long as you're existing in that frame of mind, there will always be feelings of, you know, egotistical boosts followed by feelings of lack, no matter how you want to split that out. The mentality is what is driving those feelings. It's not any individual accomplishment or any cycle you can go through or place that you can get to. It's the mentality itself. It's, it's you, (laughs) it's your idea of yourself that's in the way and not allowing it's blinding you from getting to a point of, of freedom and, and peace and happiness and joy and all of that, because you can't fully get there through that mentality of fear and desire and comparison. And as long as we're existing in comparison in our society, it'll always remain that sort of, that sort of way. And those senses of lack will always be there no matter what. Exactly. It's funny. I, I, uh, I reposted an old video. I was just kind of rambling one day. I was just like, that's kind of interesting. I think I actually started the video with, I'm not sure where this is going. Um, but it was, it was very much about the fact that because we identify and because identity immediately creates a conceptual division between us and reality, identity always lacks. And so as soon as we're identifying, the end result becomes a need because it's the, solid, the solution to our lack, which is why we get tunnel vision, which is why we get so caught up in getting to the end result is because of our identity, right? The identity is what drives the lack. Whereas if we didn't identify, it would just be a journey without any need whatsoever, right? So it really comes back to just identification. And I wanted to address this because it's the same thing I was saying earlier about the one-step process. It's that it's not about letting go of identification. Identification is fun. It's nice to be able to say, hey, Andrew, how's it going? Right? It's that we take it as truth. That's it. That's all it is, is that we take it as truth. 
An illusion that you see through ceases to be an illusion. A trap that you know is a trap is no longer a trap, right? So it's not about, you know, perfecting a life without ego. It's about, you know, mastering the ability to recognize that ego is not truth, that duality is not what is, that there is a very big difference between your perception and what is, right? Perception is never what is, though it is a fragment of what is. What is includes all possible perceptions and situations and, and, and environments. So just keep that in mind. Just question the identity that your mind is creating for you in order to create some level of context, because that's all it's trying to do. Your brain is just trying to understand where do I fit in this situation? And the only way it knows to do that is through the comparison and the duality and the division that it perceives. So it needs an idea of you to fit in with its ideas of everybody else, but you are not that idea. You're just witnessing the processing of your intelligence and you're grabbing onto one concept that looks like you thinking that it's you and it never was. Yeah. It's funny how the, the journey of someone trying to kill their ego is arguably the most egotistical journey you can probably have. So it, people get caught up in wanting that and striving for that and existing without a sense of self whatsoever and thinking that it's that's the right thing to do and, and the wrong thing to do is to have this idea of yourself or, or ego. But I think people fail to understand that this experience wouldn't be the way it is without this illusion of duality. And you can, as you said, you can see it for what it is and see that it's there, exist within it fully, take part in it fully, as long as you don't believe that it is the truth. And as you understand that it is an illusion. So, and, and it's not even, and as you get caught up in it, you know, playing the game in the illusion of duality, there will be times that you forget that it's an illusion because it feels really fucking real like it's it's a really good illusion <laughs> and i think that's why we are where we are is is that god has played itself into convincing itself that it isn't god and it's gotten so good at at that um so yeah i, I think being able to exist within it and see it and when you do forget you know not judging yourself along the way that's my i feel like that's one of my biggest things is just judging myself along the way, but realizing that, yeah, it, it's, it's a really good illusion and almost like, like, uh, realizing how good of an illusion it is in that way and, and giving that some credit almost like, yeah, oh, yeah. It, it is pretty good, but Bad respect. You know, yeah, exactly. But it doesn't mean that you have to take it seriously. And when you do, get those insights and, and glimpses you can you can see it a little bit more clearly oh yeah no i remember sitting uh, several times in my life just just in awe of how good i am at con convincing myself that i'm not what i am right like that that's it's amazing like you, often <laughs> there's kind of a tongue-in-cheek joke in, in theology that you know could god create a rock so heavy that he himself could not lift it, you know, and it's, it's just, it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, that's a nonsensical, nonsensical argument. It doesn't really go anywhere, but what's interesting about it, it's like, could God be so powerful and limitless that it had the ability to fool itself into thinking it wasn't powerful and limitless. 
it's a much better way of looking at it because that's very much the case, right? Is that we have that capacity to get so lost in the illusion of division that we literally cut our potential in half and we can just keep having it for every division that we create and hold on to is truth. And, and that, that's the whole journey is just realizing it's like, wow, I'm cutting myself in half. That's what I'm doing. Every time I think about myself, I'm just splitting it down the middle, right? It's the archer, but it's the archer over and over and over and over again. And then what's worse is that if we try to make the target freedom, we can't make it, right? Because now we're focused on the idea of freedom as well as the action of freedom. So we can't just be free. In order to be free, you have to let go of all of it, all of it, or at least accept that none of it's real, which is by far the easier thing than trying to let go of all of it. That happens at death. So don't rush that. It's like the idea of desiring to stop desiring almost is that idea as opposed to just accepting that you're going to be desiring something and then desiring to stop desiring is another desire. So it's like this inescapable thing where if you just, you know, it's okay to desire some things here and there, but I don't have to take them too seriously and I don't have to take them as truth. And I can realize that, you know, they're not going to add anything to me because there is nothing more than I can possibly become than I am here and now. So yeah. Um, something else I wanted to bring up because my friend was DMing me uh, a week or two ago about the idea of time. And I was, I was talking about how time is an illusion and it's always right now. And he sent me this article that was like, the title was like, dis, like proving that time is not an illusion or something. And it talked about, or one of the points he made, I forget. It was like, it was probably close to a month ago, but he talked about how, oh, well, aging is a proof that time exists because if you say you or even breaking your arm, you break your arm and then it heals, time was necessary. We can see that there was time in between the break and the healing. But I, I said like, well, time is just a measurement that we incorporate into things, but it's not that aging, oh, I forget what, what my point was. I had like, I thought it was a decent point that, that aging doesn't prove that time exists, but time exists because we age kind of, it's like a flip thing where it's, it's not actually proving anything, but we just have layered on time because we view things in a certain way, but it's an illusion because it's just right now all the time. And there's no time in that. Right. It's tricky, right? Because we experience time. And even Einstein said time is a persistent illusion, right? Because we know that the experience of time is, is actually something that changes with speed, for example, right? Like the, the experience of time is something that's, it's not, it's not steady. It's not universal, right? Like time is another dimension in terms of movement and duality. So there is the experience of time, but the reality is there's only ever now, right? That, that's all that's ever the case, but now is in constant flux. It's in constant, what we perceive to be change. See, like every moment exists in potential in the moment, in, in, in the present moment. It, without it being expressed, let's just say that the nothingness that is potentially everything and doesn't exist in space or time 
could be, if expressed in space or time, all possible moments of the observer and the observed on every scale from cellular upwards. They could all possibly exist within that nothingness that could be potentially anything. All of those moments are what we're experiencing, but we perceive them as the progression of time. We have the experience of duality, so we perceive a before and an after. But experientially, you can't prove before or after. Because when it was before, it was now. When it's after, it's still now. Right? That is the fundamental truth of our existence, is that it's always just now. Our experience of time is dependent on our environment, on our state of consciousness, and everything else. Time itself is not a constant. It's not. It's just as real as physicality as three-dimensional space, which means it's not, right? It's just a perception that we experience. And without that perception, we would just be infinite all the time without any expression of duality whatsoever. So we almost need time in order to express everything that we could potentially be, or at least in order to experience everything that we could potentially be, right? Because otherwise you're just sitting in a, not even you're just sitting in a state. Otherwise there is just limitless existence without expression. You need the perception of space and time in order to express limitless existence. That is what we're experiencing, is the perception of time. So this is why when, well, there was a big bang, it's like, mm, there's the perception of a big bang, which is necessitated by our experience of time. For us to be in time, we have to perceive a beginning of it. And that requires us to perceive an end of it but neither are true because time never ends, right? Existence is always, you can't have non-existence, right? So as soon as you have the experience of existence, you have the, the experience of time. They just go hand in hand. But at the end of the day, time itself doesn't really exist and quantum physics will back that up. I mean, they'll even go into the argument that there's no reason that icicles should melt rather than you know, accumulating water. Like the, the, the flow of time doesn't seem to have any rhyme or reason outside of our experience of it, which is why quantum physics and science is having such a fun time with that, because none of this makes any sense when you break it down far enough. There's no real reason that we should, in fact, age in the, in the direction that we do age. There was a really good uh, book by Deepak Chopra called uh, Ageless Body, Timeless Mind. And he actually goes into some of the research regarding our, our genetics and regarding how our perception of time actually changes our physiological progression, how it actually changes how we age physically, right? So there's way more to the experience of time as it progresses or as, our, as we perceive it progressing than just, you know, it's 2022 on this, on this date at this time. It's like, that's just a way of keeping track of the rate of change all it is that's all we're ever doing when we're looking at time is we're just trying to keep track of the changes right or the changes that we perceive but it's always just now it's always now it, that that will never end because that's all that is yeah it, it, it's interesting just sometimes thinking about that that it's not 2022 it's not monday it's none of those things it's just right now and it kind of seeing that knocks you into the moment in a certain profound way when when you see because i think i feel like a lot of our society too just kind of settles on that 
understanding like no it's it's monday right now it's like says who like it was it's just random stuff that and even that though people say well there's because 24 hours in a day you know the time between sunrise to sunset sunrise and all those things can be measured so yes these are just labels but you know there's still all of the the ways that our planets interact together and with all those things are measured in a certain way and while they're not exact it's still stemming from something so while it is right now there are still certain approximate amounts of times between sunrises and things like that point isn't it right like we pay attention to cycles and we assume that that's indicative of time but if we didn't have those cycles like say the earth didn't revolve around the sun so we didn't have this the progression of seasons how would you keep track of the change how would you keep track of time right it's actually the changes the cycles of change that we keep track of and we go aha that's how we'll keep track of time. Like, you know, the cycles of the moon, the cycle of the sun, the cycle, the cycle of our solar systems, things like that. Like to us, that's how we keep track of, of time. We're like, aha, a cycle, seven days is a week, 30 days is a month, 365 days is a year, right? And the only reason we can do that is because our physical environment has cycles that we can use to keep track, right? But if it wasn't for those cycles, we would only ever left, we would only ever be left with now, unchanging with no way to keep track of it. It would almost be pointless to have a clock that's 24 hours if the sun never goes down. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good point. So it's kind of that thing where like time doesn't mean that we age, but aging is something that we track with time. It's like, which, it's like which one comes first? And it's like, well, the you know rotations of the earth around the sun comes first and because of that we have dates and months and years and time and and all of that other stuff so and yeah it's almost like if you don't think about that then you might think that we figured out time first and it's like no no that would that's not how it works we did not control how quickly the earth rotates around the sun or, or anything like that. We just were able to track it and then layered on top these measurement type of systems. Yeah. And, and I mean, everything is cycles within cycles. Like each of our cells is born, lives and dies. Right. And the, so that's a smaller cycle. And then a larger cycle, you have the entire body, which is ultimately, you know, born, goes through all those tiny little cycles of cellular death and decay and growth and everyone and, and so on and so forth. And then, you know, the body itself dies, uh, you know, around 80 or hundred years old. And then you have the, the cycle of, of birth and death, right? Like the body comes into the world and then the body goes back to the world. And then you have the cycle of birth and death in terms of planets in the solar system, solar system exists. And eventually it's all going to get collapsed back into the sun and turn into a black hole. And then the same with galaxies and everything else. And so everything is just cycles within cycles within cycles. And it's all just perfectly seamlessly organized to give us the experience of duality, because that's what cycles are, isn't it? Before and after. Everything is duality expressed on different scales and in different complexity. Right? And that's what existence is. But we tend to take that as just further proof that duality is real. Instead of just, how do I put an awe-inspiring display 
of the perfect harmony that our intelligence naturally creates. Yeah, damn. <laughs> yeah, psych the idea of cycles too, of just it happens on every different scale is incredible. And when there isn't as much me involved, it's easier to see those for what they are because they're none of them are personal. It's it's just what's happening inevitably. So it's not something that you know, you cling to or fear or worry about. It's just another thing happening, another cycle occurring within our awareness, within existence. And yeah. Hmm. What, is, what are your thoughts on black holes? Have you done much digging into those? Cause I haven't, I haven't like really explored a ton of like the whole idea of space and whatnot, but Black holes seem pretty fascinating. I don't know. Yeah, almost like um, they're the end of a dualistic experience. It's like the duality is being pulled back into the singularity, right? And there's this great theory that that black holes are in fact the gateway to another Big Bang, right? Like where they're coming out is the Big Bang, right? Or possibly the Big Bang of an, another iteration of this universe. Right. So it's, it's really interesting because essentially what they're doing is it, it's just like, it's the end of, of the division, right? It's like, that's enough now back to zero. Right. And then, and then you have, you know, the big bang, which is of course the expression of zero into duality. And so, yeah, I think that black holes and the big bang kind of go hand in hand. I think that, you know, they, they are the perceived end to the big bang, which is the perceived beginning. And it makes sense how it would be an explosion. And then, you know, the disappearing of that explosion into nothingness it makes perfect sense in terms of, of dualistic symbolism that's why i like the expression that uh space is where god does math yeah seriously damn that's that's pretty cool so you've talked before about the idea of anything that could be possible is possible or anything we could imagine from you know, a Lord of the Rings type universe or world to, I don't know, some child cartoon type yep. world, if it exists within our awareness, like within that reason. is something. Okay. Okay. So what I mean is that, so if you watch the Lord of the Rings, for example, you will see hobbits and orcs and elves and Gandalf and all of this fun stuff. And I'm not saying that that specific exact situation exists within duality, but that perception of that specific exact situation exists somewhere within duality. So uh, give me an example. I was at the pet store the other day because my daughter has a gecko. So I actively, or, or rather I regularly have to go to the pet store to buy crickets to feed my gecko. And, and so we went to the store, got some crickets. Well, one cricket as they were, piling them into the bag, escaped, got onto the floor and just started kind of hopping around the pet store. My immediate thought was that cricket is about to have an epic journey, right? And if you were to think of it, and if you were to make that cricket's journey and change it just slightly to a human being in a giant world that he doesn't understand, surrounded by giants, you would have a bestseller of a book, right? And that cricket is experiencing that in its own world, from its own perspective, from its own limitations, right? That's what I mean, is that 
all experiences, perceptions of them or otherwise ex exist within reality. Now you can take that if you really want to and say, well, is it possible that the exact situation in the Lord of the Rings does exist? Yeah, yeah, of course it is because reality is eternal, right? Eternity is a very long time. Like it, it, there's no way to, to really describe how long eternity is. And so the universe is 13 and a half billion years old. Well, on a, a timeline of eternity, that's not even a dot, right? We could have literally created and destroyed and created and destroyed the universe as we see it right now, infinite times by now. And we wouldn't even know because eternity is a long time. I ran across this book once. I think I told you this, but I'm going to share it again because it's a great uh, visual for expressing it. Basically, imagine a giant granite stone that's 100 feet high and 100 feet wide. And every year, the tiniest little bird flies by and scrapes its beak against the stone once. By the time those, that bird, once a year, not that bird, but let's say the bird that comes by every year, has worn that stone down to nothing. You have one day in the span of eternity. Damn. Right? Yeah. That, that's that stuff that blows your mind. Like when you start looking at the, at the actual reality behind the concept of limitless and infinite, it's awe-inspiring. It really is. Like it really makes you go, wow, we really don't know. Like we don't know anything. We're like, oh, the universe is such and such years old. It's like, based on what? based on your perception of time, right? Based on how you perceive, like, oh, the Big Bang was the beginning. And now they're like, well, we don't know that. I mean, it could be, it might be expanding and contracting. It might be, you don't know. You don't know what you're doing is you're just making guesses based on, on what you can logically perceive to be the truth based on your perception of your relationship with reality, right? And that's, that's always going to be the case. That's why as useful as science is, as useful as philosophy is, as useful as all of this stuff, really can be in terms of gaining insight and, and um, evolving our world or adapting to our world, it can also set us back in terms of us assuming that just because something has been the case, it will always be the case, right? And this is why you know, people will say, well, what about the, the constants in the physical universe? This is actually a, qu a question that, that we had. It's like, if there are infinite realities, if there are infinite iterations of the universe, do they all have the same laws of physics? And that's a great question. It really comes down to the difference between deductive reasoning and inductive reasoning, which is why science doesn't go towards inductive reasoning. It's always deductive reasoning. It's always, this has been the case forever in our, in our observations. Therefore, it will continue to be the case. This is the speed of, of, of light. This is the speed of sound. Inductive reasoning is, yeah, it's always been the case, but it doesn't necessarily mean it always will be the case, right? And that is the whole in all of our arguments is that it's always based on observation and the assumption of constant, right? And so we don't really know. So to answer the question of what's possible in the universe, everything, because each universe is going to have ultimately its own rules. It's going to have its own, its own uh, structure, its own um, embodiment of, of what it is basically. And so all we can really say is how things work here. That's pretty much it. And we can do that only based on observation. And even in our observation, there are holes, like for example, the experience of time not being constant. Yeah, it's fascinating how what you just said about uh, deductive versus inductive reasoning on a grand scale 
of physics and the universe is the same way we apply it to ourselves. And that sort of deductive reasoning, oh, I've done this in the past, so therefore I feel like I can do it again. Oh, I, I haven't done this in the past or I've done this poorly in the past, so therefore I will do this poorly again in the future. And it's like having this idea of yourself. And I was thinking more about the video I want to do about uh, just like a interview. And I, I want to figure out a way to like name it something to like kind of catch people from the start. Cause I think the end is kind of funny and it's basically going to be this guy sits down. It's just going to be me sitting at my desk, probably in a tie maybe or something. And it's going to ask the guy something like, you know, tell me about yourself or who are you? And then the guy starts saying, and it'll just be me. So it'll be like, well, you know, my name is Andrew. I grew up in Minneapolis. I went to Penn and played baseball and the guy stops him. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But you can't use the past. And then it's like, well, well, how am I supposed to do it? And then, and then the guy, it goes back to the other guy. Well, are you your past or are you right now? Because you can't be both. And the guy's like, oh, I guess I'm right now, right? He's like, ding, ding, ding. And then, and then it goes back to the guy. And I want to end it where it's like, it clips back to the guy who's asking. And then the chair is empty. And it's like, it was him talking to himself, kind of like a fight club type deal. And that, that sort of situation is what I'm thinking. But it's, yeah, just getting that idea across that you aren't, your past and settling in that uncertainty. It's like one of the, one of the quotes we have up that's being voted on now is what, what is it exactly? It's like, um, there's more potential in accepting. We don't know what's possible than pretending that we do. Um, and I just wanted to mention quickly, actually, that, uh, the vote for, so we're creating some stickers for dualistic unity. I just wanted to update everybody here. Um, the stickers are going to be basically plastered all over the place. We've got some followers who uh, would like to help us promote in different cities. And so these stickers are gonna be going up in high traffic areas, basically with just a quote from Andrew or I, just to, to share some insights with people as they're going about their day. Of course, there's gonna be a little QR code on there so they can scan it and come to the podcast if they'd like to, but the messages are very much just, you are whole and complete in yourself. And so what we did was we created uh, four quotes for Andrew, four quotes for me, and we put them on the Discord server and we open it up for voting for, for our members. And they've come up with um, two for Andrew and two for me. And that will be going on to Patreon this week for the final vote. So if you would like to have a final, uh, final say on this vote, do join us on Patreon. You can vote for which stickers we're going to be creating. And of course, as a Patreon supporter, if you would like a few copies of that sticker to put in your own neighborhood, you just have to let us know and then we'll mail you some. Looking forward to getting those out there. It's uh, yeah, fun, fun thing to do, and it's fun to get everyone involved in in having some uh, vote in in what we're what we're doing with that. But yeah, yeah, the idea just that you are not your past, and you are not what you think you are at all, and and real kind of relaxing into that uncertainty of you don't know is initially admittedly not the most comfortable thing ever. It, it really isn't because it doesn't hold on to kind of what we we're talking about at the start of the podcast, cling to all of those ways that people feel better about themselves these days. It's, it's kind of beyond 
that and, and relaxing into uncertainty is not the most common mentality in our society and not even, not even close. If, if not, it's far from many mentalities in our society because everyone wants to feel certain, but realizing that nothing is ever certain, there is a sort of eventual comfort in that because initially you think that everything you're trying to do is be certain about the uncertain. So it's like this loop that you're like running in a hamster wheel almost. And then thinking that there's like a, or a donkey with a carrot on the end of its stick, thinking that this is going to solve things for you. And it never is until you realize that uncertainty is reality. Uncertainty is the norm. And then you sort of relax into that. You're like, I don't know what's possible. I don't know what I'm capable of. I don't know what we're capable of, what I as the universe is capable of, but let's find out. But if you aren't here now and you're, and you're existing in a mentality that's always focused on the past or the future, you won't experience that sort of visual of what is capable because you're always so caught up in thinking you know or trying to figure out what's capable, which is a future-focused mindset, and you're trying to figure it out based on what has already happened in the past using that sort of deductive reasoning. So that's never actually experiencing reality in the moment, which is the only place that it ever is, and in reality, the only place that you ever are. Yeah, well, that's, this is what Krishnamurti was always saying, right? It said, you want to experience the unknown but you keep trying to do it through thinking, which is always based on the known. How can you get to the unknown? Everything you're creating is a product of the known. Now to get to the unknown, you have to stop being the known. Right? And that, that, that's again, that, that's that active faith. That's that leap, right? That we're talking about. And, and again, it's something that happens over time. And what's interesting, I was, discussing this with my wife the other day and it was based on on something that you had actually said was an idea um you were going to do a video um from the bathroom basically comparing the process of relaxing through this to taking a dump as it were <laughs> right and, and and it's very much like that in terms of as you start to practice this as you start to realize like oh i just need to relax get myself out of the way just kind of go through whatever it is i'm going through in terms of my life situation you start feeling what i like to call compression right your reality because it's built on the opposite of this is going to try and get you to identify it's going to try and get you to to dig into the idea of control and then when i say it's going to try i'm, I'm going to, um, it's more accurate to say it is specifically designed to encourage and entice you to do that to to use those strategies and as you continue to remind yourself nope i'm not what i think i am nope i don't know what's going to happen nope I don't, and so on and so forth you can feel that pressure. It's just like, come on, just commit, just go back to that mentality, you know, define yourself, get an idea of what's happening. And so you have to just keep relaxing and relaxing and relaxing, regardless of the compression. You know, this is why I was talking about, you know, going to the bathroom or your video about going to the bathroom. Cause it's like, if you don't relax, you end up locking yourself up, right? You end up constipated as it were with your own ego. And that's very uncomfortable. But as soon as you just relax and allow yourself to go through the process of whatever it is you're going through, it's like, you just, clear the sphincter boop, and you're out the other side you know just kind of drifting now and waiting for that next that next cycle of compression 
waiting for that next lesson that's going to once again entice you into your old habits and give you the opportunity to once again surrender them and jettison them and to see what's what's next when you do so. Yeah, I, I feel like I know that compression well right now, but um, there was that video that uh, you sent, I think it was Ariel here and now talked about how uh, it was an, a video about how the, the path of sort of, I don't know if it was going through our stuff or kind of going through difficult situations. It's not that that is a part of this journey that we have to overcome in order to, you know, like reach our higher self or gain, you know, God consciousness, whatever, you know, it's like, it's that, that those sort of struggles or things that we go through is the path itself. Like that is the path right then and there. It's not like a piece of it or a precursor to it that we get to, you know, once we overcome it, then things happen. It's like, that is it. Like we are on that path kind of consistently. So that I think ties hand in hand with the uncertainty and sort of just relaxing into the uncertainty and looking around and realizing, you know, sometimes that path, it's never certain, but sometimes it can be pretty beautiful. So if you walk around and, and, you know, look around on your, on your walk and on your journey through it in that way, that is always happening right now in front of you. It's not this path that has a destination. It's like an infinite path that has scenery it's like that is the analogy for this sort of experience, I think. Yeah. Or you can walk down the path so completely wrapped up in yourself that it's very much like one of those people walking through the city is just talking to themselves and having an argument with, with nobody who's even there. They're not even aware of their surroundings, right? And it's because they're so wrapped up in the fictional world that they've created and committed to that they're missing the opportunities that are actually right there all the time. And so just like with every other cycle, it's like we have to go through the small cycles of our egotistical attachments, right? To see the larger cycles of our egotistical attachments, which reveal larger and larger and larger cycles. And the more we align with them, the, the more we start to realize that we are also aligning with the larger cycles of the reality that we're a part of, right? And that's all of a sudden when you have a conversation with somebody and like you experienced this weekend where, you know, you're just working on your own stuff. You're, you're doing it the best way you can. You start to actually get to the point where you're like, well, this is all kind of straightforward and obvious now. And, and, and you, you, know, you almost devalue how profound it was just because you've become so familiar with it. And then all of a sudden somebody comes along and they're like, that just rocked me. Like I, I never even thought of that before. And, and you're so wrapped up in the next iteration of your cycle that you don't see the cycle they're still on. Right. And you forget, right. That cycle leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. They've just seen, you know, that insight, which broke a previous cycle, or at least revealed that cycle to them. And that's all we're ever doing. That's all we're ever doing is we're just, you know, we're, we're like Russian nesting dolls. Right. And some of us are deeper in, some of us are a little farther out towards the, the edges. Right. But that's, that's all it is. And every time we see a, a deeper doll, that doll inspires us to, to remind ourselves that, right. That's within me too. Right. I can I can realize I am that deeper doll 
and deeper and deeper and deeper we go, the more we start to realize that we're all the same doll expressed in different bodies, right? And so that, that's where that empathy comes from, for sure. It's interesting to me because our conversation in this podcast has evolved a lot um, since the beginning of season one. Now we're, we're starting to get into the deeper end of the metaphysical conversation. And I hate to call it that, but I mean, at the end of the day, we're talking about existence and, and the, uh, the role of an eternal awareness, which brings us into the entire idea of a soul and alternate realities and, and, and infinite moments and so on and so forth. So it's very difficult not to get into the fun metaphysical side of this. But I, I wanna preface that by saying, this is all for fun. It's in the same way that researching aliens, building the pyramids, or researching you know, the Anunnaki or researching anything like that just adds to the story. It just adds consideration. It adds more, more nuance and more layers for you to bring in and, and, and recontextualize to learn about yourself. But it's all for fun. If you're getting so caught up in needing to know, you're missing the point and you're once again going to end up being afraid. And I just wanted to preface that before we get deeper into this conversation, because we've had some really good questions lately. And whereas I tend to ramble and rant, I wanted to ask you some of them. So here's, and we're going to start with this one. Could you transfer a plant's awareness into a human body or vice versa? I'm not asking you to actually say how that would happen, but if you were to be able to, is that something that you think would work? Um, I mean, it's already there, right? <laughs> I feel like that comes back to just how you define yourself. And it's kind of like the analogy with uh, the thoughts inside of your head, like the idea of if you had a headphone in one of your ears and you could only hear this voice out of one headphone, like that ear is hearing this voice. So does that mean that you know, your other and say you identified with it and it sort of became your internal dialogue. Does that mean that, you know, the other ear is no longer you like it's, it's the sort of same type of thing. And it just comes back to how you identify yourself. And if you go through sort of hypothetical situations where say you lost a bunch of your limbs and basically like all of your body until you were still functional, but you know, didn't have a lot of pieces of that you defined as you is like, are you still you or are you maybe not this body that you've been defined as? So it's like this awareness is already there, but something I, I, I'm curious about is like, there is still, eh, not really. Cause space is an illusion also i was going to say there is this like difference in but there still is like this different in perspective and sort of like the condensed sort of spotlight consciousness that like alan watts talks about like spotlight versus floodlight and there is sort of like that difference in spotlight consciousness how we but it's still just a feeling because like right now I'm looking at a screen in New York city. Ray is looking at a screen in Vancouver Island, but 
it's just because I define myself as Andrew and you define yourself as Ray, or I define myself as Andrew and not as a plant. Like it, that's what it comes down to. So I don't know, but curious what your that's thoughts That's a great are. answer. That's a great answer. Well, it's kind of funny. I always think of it in terms of if we were to just let, like make it easier, if I was to take your awareness and put it in this body, the only difference is you'd be wondering where the hell did all my hair go? Right. Whereas if you were to take your awareness and put yourself in a plant, you'd suddenly get really confused by, you know, not being able to eat dinner or walk around. So if you were to take a plant's awareness and put it in your body, I was saying this kind of facetiously and, and as a joke to the person who asked, that body would more than likely starve from trying to photosynthesize and drink through its feet. Right? Because it's just, we adapt to our form, our, our, our awareness is expressed according to the limitations of the form that, that it embodies, right? And so it's the same awareness, but it learns to express itself differently according to, to that form or according to the, the, um, the identification that it, that it experiences. And in terms of a plant, it's just, you know, I am plant, whatever that might mean. It's not a concept, but it's just, I'm separate from what I'm experiencing. So there's still that perception of division, but it doesn't have the conceptual framework of, you know, I am a plant with this name of this neighborhood and this area, this species and so on and so forth. It doesn't have any of that crap. It's just, I am separate from whatever I'm experiencing. So it's the same awareness. Great answer. Yeah. That was really good. <laughs> so here's another one for you. Does suicide end suffering? I do not have much background in thinking about suicide but no but you do have uh, background in suffering yeah i mean yes and so yes and no because it ends the illusion of division in a sort of way kind of but not really also because if you're because at what point does it end the illusion and for who you know so like if in the moment that you kill yourself you obviously are have taken the illusion of duality as truth because you think that this will change the situation and your situation which you have identified with and likely the reason that you are in that sort of situation to begin with is because you feel so separate and it is stemming from your idea of yourself as being separate because without those feelings of separateness there is not suffering to that degree there can be pain certainly and there can be hunger and all of those things but that type of suffering that necessitates you to to end this life in order for it to end isn't the same as that pain and hunger it's it is a mental sort of suffering so i don't i don't know that's like i kind of that's okay. a good answer i mean but let's uh, let, let's ask more specifically even if i were to kill myself does that end the reality of suffering no, no, which means that in any form, 
awareness or me in any form that has the awareness of being me, there's the potential for suffering because suffering is part of duality. And so ending one life doesn't end life. And since you are life, there will always be the two opposites will always be joy and suffering in whatever life you're experiencing. Right. So no suicide doesn't end suffering. Like you said, it's always there. It's just how much do we exacerbate it by committing to the division that's making it worse. Right. And that's, that's the option we have all the time, which is why these conversations are so useful is because what we're doing is we're just talking to people about the suffering that they're experiencing and, and reminding them it's because of the illusion you're invested in. It's because of the perspective that you've learned is the truth. And so in our own little way, by entering up, ending our own suffering, we are embodying the insight that would allow other people to possibly learn the same trick or the, the same strategies that, that we learned. And I mean, taking that far enough, I mean, if we could actually look at humanity's future, let's just say this conversation catches like wildfire, changes the entirety of, of, our, of our species path on this journey. And in the future, everybody starts recognizing we're all one and living accordingly. The suffering in that world would be so much less than the suffering that we are perpetuating in this world that that would be a different argument. We would be looking at suffering in a different way, but because the world that we, we are currently a part of because of the mentality that created this world, there is so much suffering that we don't understand killing ourselves actually doesn't escape it. It just makes it worse, right? Cause it just leaves more suffering for everybody who's still here, which is still you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought about that too, in terms of, just how animals and plants and other species don't commit suicide. There is no suicide in the animal kingdom, as far as I know, at least. But so, yeah, it, it does show because there's still, you know, pain in the animal kingdom. Certainly there's, I mean, their lifestyle, like we don't, we wake up, we don't have to worry about getting chased down by a, you know, cheetah or something like that's not part of our day anymore or a lion at the bottom of our stairs outside of our apartment. Like that's not something we deal with, but yeah, like there isn't that level of identity self-perception that could lead to wanting to end this idea of you in that way. And so, yeah, I, I've just always found that interesting. The idea that it, doesn't it isn't something that exists outside of humanity really yeah our survival instinct is actually like our our, our instinct for self-preservation is pretty much hardwired until um you get humans capacity for getting in the way of it with conceptual ideas right it's like all of a sudden we completely override our biological programming like we we rewrite and rewrite the hardware by messing with the software it's so interesting to watch ourselves do that um one more question for you. When we die physically, what do you think happens to our awareness? It continues in the same way it is now. <laughs> like, is it when like Andrew dies physically or like we get sucked back into a black hole or something? Well, I see this is, I guess the question is, what happens when we die? I've been wrestling with this one um, for the last few days because a lot of people get very upset at my lack of doubt. Um, 
and and it's very much do we continue to be ourselves after we die the argument is does our identity continue on with us when our body ceases to be no i can't imagine that how it would because it's just a product of this sort of collective mentality of, of thinking that we're separate in this illusion of duality. So just the idea that it's a delusion, an illusion, how could it continue beyond the illusion? If it's an illusion and then the illusion ends, then it hasn't been. That's why I feel like the idea of having less of a sense of self can lead to a life of just sort of that freedom. And it doesn't mean that it's you know, the easiest process to go through, but without that sense of self, that's all that death is also. It's like, a, but there's just a physical component to it that sort of goes along with it. But, you know, we see death all around us all the time, death and birth like death and decay and, and birth and regrowth is happening constantly. So the idea of this human meat suit dying is just a personal thing to us or another meat suit that we know is personal to us. And that's why we have all these like crazy ideas about what happens. And we think that, you know, we would go to heaven, but like dogs don't go to heaven. It's like, it's such a human idea of an afterlife that we've just like kind of settled on it's like why do we think that we would and and other you know beings wouldn't exactly but yeah so i don't even remember the initial question but those no, are that's a great thoughts. answer that's exactly the point and, and it, we stumble on this because time again the perception of time the perception of division perception of identity all of that um, because we think that that's us the idea that it just ends is very uncomfortable for us. Like we really want to hold on to this idea that there's a me that continues on after this experience has ended. And it's, it's a bit of a, of a tricky uh, question and answer as you've just noticed, because it's like, well, what do you mean by you? Like you are not the you that you think you are right now. So that you that you are is what continues. The you that you think you are is what doesn't. And immediately the brain short circuits and, and you know smoke starts coming out of your ears. You're like, what does that even mean? And it's like time is an experience. It does not exist outside of the living. Right? Identity does not experience outside, of, it is not an experience outside of the living. Your entire experience of being alive is based on the perception of division. It's not the reality. So when you die, when the illusion ends time, division, identity, all ceases to be. You go back to just being existence itself, which does not exist within space and time. Space and time exist within it, right? If, they, if you can even use the word within or without at that point. So no, that's a great answer. That's, that's really good because it's, it's one that we run across a lot because the perception of time, because the perception of division and duality and, and identity are so convincing that we have problems stumbling over this idea. Of, like, I'm not the character I think I am. It's like, no, that's just the experience you're having this time. You know, enjoy it. 
that that's what that's for. That's what that's for. When it dies, you go being go back to being everything all the time, everywhere, forever, which you already are right now. And that's where the brain starts. Why? Whoa, 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 whoa. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So reality without space and time that could potentially be anything exists at the same time as all of space and time. Enjoy. That, that's very much where that comes from, right? And, and so we, we end up in this weird place where it's like, whoa, what? Hold on. So we're not in time, but we're experiencing time. It's like, correct. That's exactly what's happening. We're not in time, but we're experiencing time. We're not separate, but we're experiencing separation. That's the point. We're not in control, but we get the illusion of it. Yeah, it's, it's wild how it's all just a bunch of illusions. And as you take them as truth you know it's it's fine to experience them but when you take them as truth is where you know starts start questioning those those ideas absolutely which is why we go back to the whole thing i think once you've met god touched god whatever it is you want to say it's nothing but forgiveness which is again a misinterpretation nobody's forgiving you you're letting go of the story you feel you need to be forgiven for it's not that anybody's descending from on high to say, oh, you're okay. Don't worry about it. Right. It's just that you're recognizing none of it was the truth. None of it was what you thought it was. And some people will say, oh, well, that seems very convenient. You can just escape. But try it. Try not judging yourself. There's a lot of work that goes in with that. You can't just go, oh, yeah, no, I'm all in everything. I don't need to question it. You could try. Just try that convincingly for a little while you will have to face things. You will eventually have to have an insight or you will wrestle with one with an obstacle that you are still attached to. It's not as simple as just going, oh, I'm not what I think I am. Immediately, all of your thoughts go, yes, you are, because you've trained them to, right? And so it's just going through that process, cycles within cycles within cycles all the time. One insight leads to larger insights, leads to larger insights, or, or alternatively, Ripping apart one illusion reveals all the other little illusions that it was made of. Right? So it's always cycles within cycles. But at the end of the day, none of them exist because it's always just right now and you. Yes. Yeah. A lot of a lot of freedom in that understanding, but that's good yeah. fun. For sure. Um, we're coming up on the two hour mark. So we should probably wrap up this episode. This has been a lot of fun. I do want to uh, reiterate to everybody that if you haven't joined us on Discord as yet, definitely do. The conversation is growing all the time. I'm just amazed by how many people are, are excited to be there and are reaching out to one another and helping one another along their paths. It, it's really inspiring to see. And of course, if you're not on Patreon, definitely do join us on Patreon. You can vote for the stickers that are coming up. You can keep track of what's happening with our new video that we're going to be working on beyond transcendence. Um, if you're curious about what's happening with the NFTs and the DAO, that's also all going to be on the Patreon page as we move towards that over the next two, three weeks here. Uh, we have a roundtable coming up this Wednesday. And of course, we have another Patreon uh, uh, supporters only chat coming up next Wednesday from 6 to 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern time, I believe. So if you join, join us on Patreon, you'll have the link to that Zoom group. And then you can ask us questions or, or bring up anything you'd like to talk about. Um, I do have a list 
of a lot of questions here that people have asked. We did manage to cover a few of them. We kind of circled around a few. If you have questions, do drop it into the Discord uh, podcast questions channel or ask us on Patreon. We'll do our best to, to cover them in the episodes, but if we don't, there is another Q&A episode coming up later on this season, and we will be addressing them there. So don't worry, we are compiling them. If we don't get to you today or during an episode, it will be coming up in the near future. Yeah, I always enjoy the Q&A episodes. It almost makes it kind of like easier in a way to just run, like rip through a bunch of questions and kind of had not that we ever struggle with getting through episodes and finding things to talk about and going back and forth, but yeah, just have, I, I mean, we could, if we compiled a hundred questions, we could have a 10 hour podcast session probably, but yeah, it'll, it'll happen one day, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Absolutely. And that, you know, our, our listeners are welcome to consider that a challenge because, you know, as, as long as we have questions, we'll probably keep answering them. Admittedly, this is something Andrew and I were talking about for a long time is that before I met Andrew, I wanted to create content before I got into TikTok and I didn't. And it was largely because left to my own devices, I don't really have any questions. And so I'm not thinking about a lot of things. And somebody actually asked, you know, uh, what's one question you'd like an answer to? I don't, I don't want an answer to any of my questions. If anything, I'd just like answers and, and you know, continue to question. Um, but when you do that enough, you start running out of questions to ask yourself, or more importantly, you start realizing that a lot of the questions you're asking yourself are actually avoidance of the answer that would be there alternatively. Um, and so you end up in this kind of weird, quiet space. And when I first met Andrew, he was in a point where he had nothing but questions, just questions, 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 which was the entirety of season one, for the most part, was us talking about questions. Now Andrew's coming to the point where it's application, right? It's not just theory. It's actually being in the field, working on this stuff as it pops up. And so our conversations revolve more around application than anything else. And so a lot of our conversations are going to go into the experience of awareness and how to work with that experience. But if you have questions, we want to hear them because questions are great fun. If we're not necessarily revolving around a subject that you're interested in or have a question about, ask us. We are more than happy to go back and explore it again because even with all of the progress that Andrew's made, even with all the progress I've made in my own life, having the opportunity to look afresh at a question provides an opportunity for more insight, not just for you, the listener, but for Andrew and I as well. So by all means, submit those questions, join us on Discord. Yeah, it's fun going through questions on a relatively consistent basis, because I feel like each time, like someone asked me a question a year ago versus six months ago versus now, my answers would probably be different every single time. And you can probably see that in my content for anyone who's followed me for a while. My videos have changed. My thoughts about everything have, have kind of changed and my perspective on things have changed. So yeah, if you want my up-to-date perspective on things, stay up-to-date because it's changing for myself every single moment. And I'm doing my best to not judge myself along the way because it's, yeah, it can be a little bit turbulent at times. I'm not going to lie. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure everybody listening to this can relate to that as I know I can. So we'll wrap up here. And of course, we will see you next week. And don't miss the roundtable episode that's coming uh, in the middle of this week as well. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everyone.